On this edition of Music Day, a verified hit, we'll discuss when creatives crash, anxiety, depression, and suicide in the music industry. With our special guest, Tony Cornelius, Shanti Doss, Sarita Butler, and Jesus R. We're going to tell you stuff people won't tell you. Real talk with experience. We talking business up in here. We're going to give the people what they want. That's what I'm talking about. Don't call me unless it's Sylvia. Welcome to Music Day, a verified hit. I am your host, Monique Kelly. And today's show is such an important show. We are talking about brain health, also known as mental health. And it's relevant to people both in the music industry and outside of the music industry. And today we have some exceptional panelists. First, we have Tony Cornelius. He is the founder of the Don Cornelius Foundation and national board member for the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. His father, Don Cornelius, was the creator of the legendary music show, Soul Train where Tony served as Senior Vice President and General Manager of Don Cornelius Productions. He is also the Executive Producer of the BET series, American Soul, and developing a Soul Train musical for Broadway. His father tragically committed suicide in 2012. Welcome, Tony. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Monique. It's a pleasure to be here with you and to talk about such an important, important um, thing that's going on in our world, you know? Absolutely. I agree completely. And next, we also have Shanti Das. She is the founder of Silence the Shame. It's a mental health movement that normalizes the conversation around mental health and wellness. In 2019, they received one of the prestigious five awards by the American Psychiatric Foundation for Advancing Minority Mental Health. Shanti is a former music label executive at LaFace, Columbia, and Universal Music, and her father tragically committed suicide when she was just seven months old, furthering her commitment to address the stigmas and misconceptions on mental health. Welcome, Shanti. Thank you so much for having me, and it is a complete honor this is a subject that uh, my family has uh, dealt with for many years. And as we get into the conversation, you're here about my, you're here about my own suicidal ideation. So I am again, honored to be here to share with our other esteemed panelists. Thank you for being here. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Um, next up, we have Sarita Butler. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist based in Los Angeles. And she specializes in anxiety, depression, and trauma. She works in the music community treating artists, producers, directors, and other creative individuals who deal with trauma that has been magnified with the access to money and fame. And she also helps executives increase productivity and morale. She holds a master's in counseling psychology and employs a wide range of therapies, including multicultural and cultural sensitivity to help her clients in the healing process Welcome, Sarita. Thank you so much, Monique, for having me. I really appreciate it. I am looking forward to the conversation today. And my hope is that people get something out of it that um, can be helpful and supportive. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Last but not least, we have Jesus R. He is an advertising creative director and the film director of Suicide Saint. His career includes creating the official fragrance for the royal wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton and being the advertising creative director for P. Diddy's stable of brands, including Ciroc, Sean John, and other major brands. He has a six-part YouTube series, Real Talk, hashtag Mental Health Matters, which started September 1st and has been airing weekly leading up to World Mental Health Day on October 10th. Welcome, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we unmute yourself. We got to hear you. Uh, there you go. <laughs> thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm honored to be on the show, uh, especially to be alongside such uh, esteemed colleagues who dealing with personal um, issues around mental health. Uh, I think it's important that we have people who are advocates uh, and understand the experience so they can put forth the, the solutions and understanding for, for people to be more aware of uh, what our needs are. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, before we get the conversation started, I lost my own brother to suicide uh, when he was 26 and I was 23. So this topic definitely hits close to home. And I'm so glad that Music Day is having this conversation. So let's talk about the stigma behind mental health and why people don't necessarily talk about it as much. Is it fear? What are some of your thoughts on that? Well, you know, let me start by saying, uh, first I wanna, I wanna say I'm sorry for Santi's loss as well as your, your loss, Monique. Um, I mean, it's a very, very heartbreaking situation when people, people you love uh, are lost to suicide. And I just wanna say that up front because I mean, it gave me chills to know that I'm speaking with people who, who, who really, really understand the loss, you know, uh, not, not that I'm, saying that those who have not uh, experienced it are any less. But for those who, who have experienced it, I just want to, you know, give my, give my blessings and just hope that uh, we, we get through this. And, and I think it's a wonderful question that you've asked as far as talking about it, because that was one thing that, that Stevie Wonder actually asked me to do. Uh, when it first happened. He was one of the first people that I talked to because we were very close. Uh, he and my father, you know, worked together, you know, with many things. Um, and he gave me some advice and that advice was to talk about it. Yeah. And so one of the reasons why I've been talking about it for years is that it, it helps me. It helps me in my loss. It helps me in my thinking. Um, and I just think it's really important. And I've been uh, congratulated by people who, who would thank me for talking about it. So I think this, this program and what we're, what we're about to get into is, is extremely, extremely important. I agree, I agree. And for you, Shanti, coming from your perspective, you were only seven months old when you lost your father to suicide. And how has that shaped you in your journey? So, so first I want to say it's interesting. Um, my, I have 
well, I had two siblings. My sister passed last year, but my sister was eight years older than me and my brother was five years older. And like you said, I was seven months old. And so people would come up to me and ask me how my dad died, you know, when I was in elementary school and I was embarrassed. And I would say, oh, he got shot or he just died. And for a while, I just didn't talk about it. And, and you know, growing up in African-American culture, as we know, it's not something that you talk about um, when you're talking about mental illness or mental health much less suicide. And so, you know, my mom didn't even really talk to us about it. We didn't go to therapy as a family. So it was difficult. So I really suppressed a lot of those feelings mm -hmm. and just kind of turned towards schoolwork. And, and I had a, a pretty good upbringing, but there were times where the anger really came out. And that's what we learn sometimes when you're dealing with mental health challenges, because it can manifest itself in different ways and different behavior patterns. And so whenever my mom would bring up my dad's name, I would be like, I don't want to talk about that man. He, he left us. He didn't even know. He didn't tell us why. And, and of course, as a child, again, I couldn't really grasp what suicide meant and, and why someone would do that. So fast forward, you know, I became like, you know, a, a really good high achiever in school and went on to, you know, get my dream job working at LaFace Records and then moving on to Arista, Columbia, University, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember it was 2001 when I first moved to New York City and I was, I was working in a hostile environment. Um, my direct report at the time was yelling constantly. I wasn't used to that kind of environment coming from a boutique label and, you know, people when regimes come in and everybody is like, oh, well, this, this is my crew and that's your crew and I'm feeling left out and lonely. And I started getting sick. I started really not eating. And I remember being in LaGuardia Airport and I just kind of had a breakdown, if you will. And I said, you know what, I'm done with this. Maybe I should just kill myself. Mm. That's when it like freaked me out and I knew that I had not properly dealt with my dad's suicide. And I don't want to go on too long, we'll get into more of it, but because I never dealt with my dad's suicide properly, that's why I think I started dealing with a lot of my own anxiety and depression. My sister, God rest her soul, she actually put herself through counseling in college and, and I'm glad she had the wherewithal to know that she needed to get the help. And for years, she would tell me that I needed help. But you know how it is working in music. It was my ego. And I'm like, I break all these artists' careers. I don't need anybody to fix me. But underneath all of that was still that issue that I had never dealt with. And I was always afraid that if my dad did it, it would be something I would consider. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a cloud that kind of hangs over you, always being scared. If it happened to them, it could happen to me. And keeping that in check, which we'll get into doing the mental health checks. You know, Jesus, for you, you have this exceptional movie coming out and it deals with two different men handling mental health issues. My first question to you is, what made you even start on this journey with mental health that inspired this film? Well, I would say from, for most of my career, I've always created uh, content um, around social impact. I've, I've been honored by two presidents of the United States for my philanthropic work, more recently by Barack Obama as a champion of change. Um, so I've dealt with issues like gun violence prevention and how to utilize arts for violence prevention in general. Um, uh, you know, all the way ranging to, to child marriages. I did a short film about child marriages. So, you know, through, through media and arts and entertainment, I feel like we have to leverage the power of that reach to create some social good uh, and to create something that's beautiful and inspiring. You know, I was promote this, this idea of that, that we should be, you know, thinking about art over algorithms because for films specifically, everything is, you know, the risk is mitigated or the, or the profits is, is our, our projections are 
kind of verified by these algorithms that studios have. And it's far less, um, you know, projects are greenlit based on the actual artistic merit and what the intention is or how it's going to impact society. So through that, um, when I started doing research for Suicide Saint, uh, all of last year, I went to different organizations to see how mental health impacts different aspects of society. Uh, not only did I did it become more apparent how irresponsible Hollywood is in terms of addressing mental health, you know, a lot of times they uh, demonize, criminalize, or they, you know, they propel the stigma around people with severe illness, when in real life, uh, people with severe illness are actually 10 times more likely to be the victims and they only account for 3% of, uh, uh, attribute to 3% of violent crime. So there's that issue of the, the influence on our, on our, on our psyche and, and how we identify with ourselves. But then um, there, there's just, there's also not anything that's providing any uh, solutions to or realizations or something we could connect to and relate to, right? Because in America, 46% of adults deal with mental illness at some point in their life. And more than 60% of people don't go to get help. So with suicide specifically, the rates have increased 30% in the last two decades. We have from coronavirus, you know, some 300,000 people have, have lost their life. And I've lost friends and, and family members to COVID. But every year, 800,000 people kill themselves from suicide. We're talking about people who don't want to end their life, but end their pain. And why are we not collectively as a society trying to find more ways to reach people and give them help and understanding? And why do we have this stigma that says getting help makes us weak or, you know, being vulnerable or, or we created this whole stigma and this illusion around not wanting to talk about it when it should be the main thing we want to talk about because the better, you know, mental state we're in, the more productive and happier our lives could be when our, our engagement with people and our, our professional work, um, our mental health is a derivative of every other issue that we face in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those numbers are astonishing when you really think about it. Those, those numbers are so high and um, there's something needs to be done about it. Now, Sarita, from your end, the first question I always have is what brought you to become a licensed therapist? Because I always want, there's always a journey to that, right? So I'm always curious about that first uh, before we dive into all the other wonderful things you've been doing. Um, yeah, there's always a journey. Uh, my journey actually was wanting to understand. And uh, so before that, I think it's important to know that as a, as a person, as a black woman, um, becoming a therapist is even more of like there must be really a story because unfortunately we are not as represented um, as we would hope. Uh, but I did want to become a therapist. I knew that I wanted to be a therapist for years. I tried to be an accountant and that didn't work, um, but I was like an accountant for like two, two weeks. <laughs> but I wanted to understand my own family trauma uh, wanted to understand why and how things happened in my life and in my family's life. And so it really put me on this journey. And as I was going on and understanding and realizing that I wasn't just healing myself through the process of becoming a, a clinician, becoming a therapist, but mm -hmm. also the, the generational trauma that has been a part of my family 
individually and I think as the collective, as, as being just a Black person in America, there's a collective consciousness of pain and anguish. So I knew that I wanted to be a therapist, but I also knew that I didn't want to prescribe medicine. And so I wasn't, I didn't understand at the time that you could do, you didn't have to do both. So I went to school for holistic medicine um, and got a degree in counseling psychology with the emphasis in holistic medicine. So dealing with the mind, body, and spirit as a whole in the way that I show up and support others to show up. Um, so yeah, that, that is the, the reason. Uh, and I, also getting back to your first question, which was why is there a stigma? And I think that it's important for us to understand at least in communities of color, the stigma isn't just out of nowhere. We have had a long history and I think that we're seeing it even more prevalent now. The distrust that we have rightfully so of the entities that are supposed to protect us, whether it's the police department, whether it's um, medicine, those things, when you start to think about our sordid relationship with, with these entities, it makes sense why when something is going on with us, we don't necessarily run to the places that maybe other cultures go to for help. When a problem arises in our family, traditionally, we're not calling the police. Um, when things are happening within our body, traditionally, until it it's, it's festered, we don't go to the doctor. Um, and that's why our mortality rates are higher. And it's just because of di the distrust. So I think that there is a really great relationship between the stigma that happens in black and brown communities or communities of color and the distrust, the, the distrust of the entities that are supposed to protect us. Absolutely. And speaking of that distrust and the stigma, I mean, I know even with my own personal experience, you know, when my brother was diagnosed with mental illness at a young age, similar to Shanti, I was the type that would want to not talk about it, make something up because the embarrassment. But as you get older, you learn how to have those authentic conversations. So how do we have these authentic conversations about feelings and pain? And more importantly, is this trepidation peculiar, peculiar to the music industry as well? I'd like to say that uh, I think Shanti touched upon a very uh, interesting point uh, when trying to deal with suicide by a family member and as well as you, Monique, well, thinking that if, if they did it, it might be okay for me to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's something that, that comes in your mind periodically and it comes to my mind sometimes as well. And then they, they've had families who have repeated suicide. And I can remember in particular <clears throat> a commercial, and I don't want to date myself, but <clears throat> it was a, uh, an anti-smoking commercial where this guy was sitting below this tree. He took out a package of cigarettes and his three-year-old son was sitting next to him. He uh, lights the cigarette up and lays the pack of cigarettes down <clears throat> and the commercial says, like father, like son. So it, it's definitely something that you have to think about sometimes. And then that's actually the last thing I would ever want to do. I had a friend of mine when it happened that called me directly. And he said, Tony, I, I just want you to promise me something. 
And uh, I said, whatever you want. And he said, please don't repeat what your father did because you got a daughter, you got a family. And it really, it really affected me. It really made me think about it. Yeah. So uh, that's something that, you know, we constantly deal with. And, and like Sarita talked about, we as black people sometimes and those of color don't reach out to professionals for help. We use the church, we use our own, our own self. And sometimes it, uh, it gets a little confusing and a little difficult. And we, we talk about shame. We, as, as uh, Shanti has a shirt on, silence is shame. Um, uh, it's something that we black folks and people of color have always been ashamed of. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it was something I thought only cowards would do. Whereas when my father did it, I'm like, he was the strongest person I ever met. And so that really changed my perspective about what suicide and depression particularly and mental health is all about, you know? So uh, it's, it's a work in progress for me personally, you know? Absolutely. It's a, it's a journey, definitely a journey. Shanti, what were you about to say? Yeah, I was gonna say, if I could just add to that kind of echoing um, what Tony said, um, you know, oftentimes, we, we hear stuff like, oh, suicide is the most selfish thing that you can do. And how could a person do that? And of course, you know, I had some of those same thoughts growing up as a young girl. But once I got older and I started experiencing um, my own anxiety and depression, you know, I walked away from executive vice president of marketing at Universal Motown at the end of 2009. I was at the top of my game. I had a corner office. I was making a ton of money. My mom had developed Alzheimer's. I had some health issues. I was so stressed out. I was driving one day or I was riding a cab and my entire right side went numb, which I found out that that was from stress. I didn't mm -hmm. talk to anybody. You know, in the music industry, it was like the more hours you worked, the more you were celebrated. You know, hashtag team no sleep. We didn't talk about self-care. We didn't talk about wellness. Thank God those are like buzzwords now in a good way. But it wasn't a thing, even really 10 years ago, quite honestly. And so for me, I internalized a lot of my stress and anxiety. And in 2014, my best friend took her own life. The exact same way that my father did, a gunshot wound to the head. I talked to her the day before it happened. I was getting on a plane to go on vacation out of the country. I landed in Switzerland. Two hours in, I dropped my bags off at friend's apartment, get a call. She had shot herself worst day of my life outside of what happened with my dad so I couldn't get a flight to the next morning came back home she was already brain dead and passed later that day so I blame myself I tried to figure out what I missed what the signs were it brought up a lot of feelings with my dad and between 2014 and 2015 I went through a really dark period and I contemplated taking my own life September of 2015 mm -hmm. I counted up all the pills in my cabinet um, I planned out how I wanted my funeral to be. I figured, you know, I had a great run. I had a really successful career. The only thing that I didn't really want to die, but I couldn't get these thoughts out of my head that was telling me to kill myself. And so we said that, someone said that earlier about, I think it was Jesus that said, you know, it's not that you necessarily want to die, but you want the pain to go away. And I couldn't figure out how to get the pain to go away. So you add my best friend's suicide, my dad, my own shortcomings that I felt like, you know, I was walking away from the business to do more community work. What was God trying to tell me? Was I a failure? Most of my peers were still at the top of their game. So it all came crumbling down on me. Extremely low point for me, but by the grace of God, I got out of the house. I didn't take the pills. 
and I'm here today with you guys. But that's what really started me to talking about it. I was like, you know what? I can't be afraid anymore. I can't be embarrassed. And so I started opening up on social media. I did a radio interview here in B103 in Atlanta. And that's how the word silence to shame just rolled off of my tongue. And it became a movement and I got artists involved and I made up our own day. I said, May 5th will be National Silence to Shame Day in 2017. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe a couple of my peers and some artists that I worked with in the past would post. We got 90 million impressions in one day. Wow. And I knew then that whether people were just supporting me for one day, that mental health was something that, especially in our community, we needed to talk about and we needed to champion. So it starts, you ask, how do we handle it? It starts in your own household, in your families, in your communities. And Silence to Shame has really been doing the work, um, not only nationally, but globally, um, as well as in the music industry, trying to get our peers and our colleagues to listen. And a lot of labels now are hiring me on the side because I am a, a paid speaker uh, to curate conversations around wellness and so it's just an honor to see it come full circle I'm not embarrassed I'm vulnerable um, I'm very transparent about being close to taking my own life but I feel like it is my pain that's hopefully going to help save millions of lives and and that's what I do what I do and I, I honor people like Tony's father your brother uh, my best friend my dad um, and anybody else um, that we can help save Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, Sarita, I mean, kind of going piggybacking on Shanti, talking about starting having the conversations within corporations. I know that you created the first of its kind mental health and wellness department at a record label called Love Renaissance. And talk a little bit more about that and how that has helped with music um, executives and creators with mental health. Because I did watch the video of um, David Banter uh, with Silence the Shame and Carrie Hilson, and it does affect those people. Um, so tell us about your journey and your experience with starting LVRN. So LVRN uh, is Love Renaissance. They are a record label under uh, Universal Music Group. And their motto is bringing R&B back to the music business. And um, for them, it's a collection of five men um, and they're based out of Atlanta. And so we're actually by Postal now. So we're in Atlanta as well as LA. And um, I would say probably about, so I've had the idea to create a mental health and wellness department for some years and it was just kind of a, a vision that I had um, in just seeing some of the artists that I was working with really having a hard time and trying to understand better, well, why isn't there something in-house for you? And often the, the conversations that we would have would be, well, this isn't something that I want them to know about, or from the, the labels perspective, other labels that I, I went to was like, well, this is a personal matter and we don't want to interfere in personal matters. And mm -hmm. so it got me to kind of thinking about how did labels want to show up? And uh, about a year ago, like I said, um, I came into contact with Love Renaissance and 
we were just having a conversation and I was, you know, sharing with them that I was a therapist. I actually was at a music festival supporting three of my artists that were playing in the music festival and just kind of talking to the guys and they're like, yo, we would really like to work with you and see what we could do. So fast forward, they, um, we connected and they were like, okay, well, what is it that you want to do? And I said, I want to create um, just like you have A&R, just like you have marketing, just like you have operations. I want to create a department that is completely um, committed to work-life balance and supporting the staff, the executives, the artists themselves in creating a space where they can actually discuss the things that are happening to them. And then I started giving them the upsides of it where it increases morale, it um, increases productivity, it supports people in feeling less stressed. And so uh, one of the guys was like, yo, you're going to be like our, our Wendy Rhodes of the label. And, I, and if anyone is familiar with uh, the show Billions, Wendy Rhodes is an in-house therapist um, for uh, a, a venture capitalist firm. I'm like, yo, you're going to be our Wendy Rhodes. And I was like, you know what? That's actually what I am. So um, we're doing things where we're creating trainings, executive trainings, we're um, creating trainings around anxiety, noticing your anxiety, um, work-life balance, depression, all of these things, and we're, we're bringing it to the staff and the executives. And it's been a really beautiful experience because when we first started this venture, we thought, okay, well, it'll probably be like five or six, eight, five or six people that will want to be involved and may call you. Um, to date, I have 98% of the staff. Um, and the only reason why it's not 100% of the staff is because um, I physically can't do it all myself and trying to grow the other part of the department. So I am hiring people, hiring therapists to um, take, take off um, or take the rest of the, the clients. So it's been a really I think it's just a perfect storm and it's a beautiful time where because of the uprising, the virus, the, you know, isolation, people are just really struggling and giving them an opportunity to speak and just have a voice and it being safe is transformative. Um, so I'm so thankful that LVRN and my consulting firm, Just Be Consulting, have really started down the road. And my hope is that it's not actually it's a hope, it's, it's the vision that with LVRN, we are going to then open it up. And my, my plan is to have mental health and wellness services at every record label and entertainment production house in, I would love to say globally, but you know, from my mouth to God's ear. So that is the plan in the next- We'll say globally, we're gonna say globally. We're gonna, we're gonna say it and make it, we're gonna manifest that. Yes, yes. Yo, yeah. guys, for sure. Exactly, so. exactly. And then, hey, Zeus, one of the things that I really found fascinating, you did a Guns for Cameras initiative. And I wanted to know more about that, as well as what you're doing that focuses on mental health for young people. Because it seems like those, you know, starts off teenage years and then the early 20s, and making sure that the mental health is being taken care of starting at a younger age. Yeah, um, back in 2005, I, I 
created a, a nonprofit called Guns for Cameras. Our objective was to take guns off the streets and give kids video cameras. Uh, they still point and shoot something, but instead of something that destroys life, it's something that creates life and opportunity. Our, our first spokesperson for that program was Idris Elba. Uh, he was a big supporter of the program early on. Um, and that kind of was part of the trajectory of me being more involved in utilizing arts as a whole uh, for violence prevention um, to the extent that I was the delegate for the United States to 34 countries in the Western Hemisphere. And we created uh, toolkits for all the ministers of culture in the respective engaging countries. Uh, full circle now, the United Nations is endorsing my latest project, Suicide Saint, as a part of their 40 Days Safer City Initiative globally. Um, but from Guns for Cameras, I think the progression of that is, you know, back then, YouTube and, and filmmakers weren't as prevalent. So I was, I had an objective to try to create more filmmakers uh, in the space of, of major media outlets, like the byproduct of saving young kids lives was hopefully some would go on to have careers that we could start to change the narrative and major media corporation and news and, you know, all the vehicles that create propaganda. We're in a much different space now, now that everything, everybody's self-publishing and everybody's a filmmaker. So last year I founded the Sick Film School and SIC is uh, spelled S-I-C, which stands for Social Impact Content. And the objective of that school is to heal humanity one voice at a time. So not just teaching film education, but nurturing responsible voices and hoping that these young filmmakers attach themselves to causes or, or organizations where the content they're creating is helping to amplify the message of these different societal ills. So, I, I, you know, everything that I do kind of has a synergy um, into just creating content that that hopefully inspires or helps somebody in a very real way. I got I got to say though, um, I'm really honored to be on this call uh, on this show because just hearing the work that these other professionals are doing is very very inspiring. And sometimes you fight such an uphill battle that you feel like you're getting lost in in the and the struggle, right? That you, you just feel like there's not enough of it being done. But just to hear about what everybody in the call is doing from silence to shame to what to, I mean, how dope is it to have a mental health department at, at labels? Um, you know, that, that's something that I've been challenging in the film industry. So I'm hoping you can bring your, your services over to movie studios as well. Uh, and, and maybe we, I've been, you know, maybe we can do something with silence to shame for our soundtrack for the film because I've been engaging a lot of different um, major artists to create a soundtrack that would go with the film, but it'd be great to work with another organization that's specifically uh, engaging artists to get that message out. So um, that. thank you again to everyone else. Love that. I love it. Now, speaking of which, I want to talk about going back to what we talked about earlier about doing mental health check-ins, making sure that you are okay. You know, Shanti, you were so, you know, eloquent in describing what you went through in your own personal battles. Um, Tony, I'm sure, you know, dealing with the loss of your father, that had to be something where you have to constantly do those mental health check-ins. How do you do your own personal mental health check-ins? What do you do? Do you have moments where you feel yourself you know, maybe close to the edge, you know, and you have to like reel yourself back in. How do you do those mental health check-ins for yourself? 
You know, that's a, that's a very interesting question, actually. Uh, and I think people do these check-ins alone during times where and they just happen. You know, it's not yeah. something that you, 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 you practice. It's just something that happens. I actually read the Daily Word every day. You know, my mother bought me and my brother a $12 subscription to the Daily Word since we were, you know, teenagers. And she's yeah. still at, at 85 years old pays for the subscription, you know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Unbelie you know, believe it or not. And, and that, in fact, is something that keeps me grounded, you know? Because um, there's so many things that you read and there's so many passages that you come across that you can practice every day. And that, that keeps me grounded. It really does. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you know, I love my family and I know they love me. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and it's really about loving yourself and, 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 and feeling like you can talk to someone. I, I, I was thinking about that, my father, when you guys were speaking just a moment ago, and I think to myself, if he only had been able to express himself, yeah. he would be here today, you know, because a lot of times people can't express themselves, you know, and obviously depression and, and suicide and mental health is, is extremely faceted. And there's a lot of different things that people are going through. So there's no one quick fix when it comes to this, you know, some people need chemicals to control their urges. Mm -hmm. um, Shanti, I, I appreciate that you are actually able to tell us that you thought about it, you know. I mean, this oh, is it's not, that, it wasn't easy at first. I'll tell you. you no, know, that's not easy. I mean, it's not, and that uh, takes a lot of courage, Shanti. Seriously, exactly. I mean, you know, it's, wow. it's something that. So that's what I do. I, I use my daily word to keep me grounded. I really mm -hmm. do, and I and I do love life. I really do. I want to be here, and I and I think I have more to do. I you you do. It. You, you know, absolutely do. Uh, we did a we did what American Soul was all about my father and the family and the music industry and what he had to go through and what black men go through, people of color, people who who have urges to create. Uh, the mind is 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 so complicated at times, you know. And uh, it was important that that we got that across and we told the truth. Um, and it it is a struggle. It is really a struggle. You know, but it's a it's a wonderful struggle at the same time. You know, Tony, really quickly with creating American Soul, I mean, that's a powerful, powerful show. And was it difficult for you reliving some of those difficult scenes? How did you get through that? Because that I would imagine that had to be so difficult. Well, at times it's difficult, and I, and I kind of go in my corner and take a couple of breaths and then yeah. come back on set. But it, uh, I was really. Um, it was really important for me to tell the truth yeah and and to just to let people know that you're not alone you know and some of the things that we all go through those trials and those tribulations uh are are real and it's it's very difficult so i i, I had a it was a blessing for me to to be a part of this along with the other producers the directors and all the folks that are involved bt uh behind it and I'm hoping that they stand behind it for a third season. So we'll 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 see what happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Sarita, with what is the importance of finding a good therapist? Because a lot of times people look for therapists, 
but they don't necessarily find someone that they gel with, they jive with. I mean, it took me a minute to find a good therapist and thank God I found her. But how do you, how do you encourage people to find a good therapist and what should they look for in terms of gelling with a good therapist? So I'm really happy that this is the third time that I've heard this. So I think it's my time to actually listen to the universe and say thank you and maybe start jotting down some things um, in terms of how to find a therapist because it really, it's a relationship. And just like our friendships, just like our significant others, those, those are important to us. And in order for them to work, they have to match well. And I think if what I attempt to share with people is that go into finding a therapist as though you were in the arena for dating, um, because sometimes you may have to kiss a couple toads. Um, <laughs> the person that really gels with you. And I, I joke and say that just like any other industry, there are a lot of awful therapists in the world, but there's a lot of awful mechanics in the world. There's a lot of awful, um, you know, eyebrow ladies or eyebrow people in the world. Like sometimes you may have an eyebrow that's higher than the other. Like not everyone is efficient at the jobs that they have. And so that, that is the same for a therapist. And it's not just the, in, the inefficiency, but it's also that what they bring to the table may not be what you need at that moment. So being kind and, and, and being, being, I guess, having grace for yourself during the process is one of the things that I was, I would tell people, um, definitely go on referrals. Um, cause that when you have a friend or someone who was really supported by their therapist, it, it decreases your anxiety of, the possibility that someone is able to, to be of support to you as well. So, you know, take the time that it needs. It's not going to happen right away. Um, and be willing to be invested in yourself um, through through the, the moments when you're looking for a ther therapist. And yeah, I think that that would be some of the things that I would, would tell people. Um, and, and kind of have fun with it because you're going to come across a lot of interesting things and interesting people. We're kind well, of a- if I, cut in, if I can cut in for a second, I kind of call that the 80-20 rule where 80% of the people are average, 20% are above average. And that goes for anything. That goes for checkers, that goes for filmmakers, that goes for hosts, <laughs> I mean, it's an 80-20. So I think you're, you're right about finding the right person to do the right thing for you. And uh, as, a, as a member, a board member of the American Society of Suicide Prevention, which has been around for more than 50 years, primarily white, uh, they asked me to be on the board. And one of the things that, that, that I focused on was trying to get us involved in a big way, whether it be for therapists, for, 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 for studying the work you know, scientists, I mean, people of color who can understand people of color, because it's a, it's a whole different thing. I mean, what, what some people, uh, some, some people of other origins suffer with, we don't suffer with. Things that we suffer with, they don't suffer with. So it's, it, uh, it's, it's a big deal, you know, and something that we really need to continue to concentrate on, you know? And, and if I could just add quickly too, um, to echo what Tony's saying, 
about going to someone that can understand you, right? When most clinicians get trained, they're supposed to go through cultural competency training, right? So they're able to understand various cultures and ethnicities, but that's not always the case. And for me, you know, I've seen several European American, you know, therapists over the years and they were okay. And that's not to say that you cannot be, you know, treated and gone, going to someone who doesn't look like you, but oftentimes, and especially I'm finding that a lot of our younger people, they want someone that looks like them. So there are some amazing websites out there like therapyforblackgirls.com. Um, you can also go to betterhelp.com, which is, they'll give you like a really good um, um, survey to go through everything, you know, that's gonna serve your needs about ethnicities and, and what you're looking for and what um, type of treatment you need, as well as therapyforblackmen.org. Those are some really great ones. Oh, and I just wanna quickly add, as far as check-ins, um, in the pandemic, because things were so heavy and I knew so many of my peers and friends were dealing with a lot, you know, I created a new brand called Yeah Wellness, which is my personal brand. And so I started doing the Yeah Wellness check-in. And it's just a 30-minute check-in that I do. It's like a TV show on Instagram. But I've interviewed everyone from Common to Swiss Beats, Johnny Gill. I just had Ronnie DeVoe and his wife today, Kelly Price. Um, just some incredible musicians and actors in our community. And so that's one way that I'm trying to just give back personally and allow people to make sure they're checking in with loved ones and family members. Because um, the isolation, as you mentioned earlier, can really be a lot and it can be debilitating. Because for me, you know, my sister was the one who really, truly encouraged me to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline the night I thought of taking my own life, which is 1-800-273-TALK. But she died last year unexpectedly from a blood clot. And so oh, I've never experienced this type of grief and loss from someone that, you know, um, and it, it's hard to talk about. Um, Take your time. You I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you guys. I feel triggered sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I don't want to be here without my sister because she was the one that saved me. And so um, I work with so many therapists. You're not really supposed to, again, Sarita will know this. You're not really supposed to go to someone you know. And I'm always <laughs> joking. I'm like, I need a therapist that I don't know <laughs> that can help me because we work with so many. But I I've been struggling through the pandemic to continue to do this work and to show up for so many people. And I get personal phone calls and text messages. My, my, my cousin just had a psychotic break or my nephew's in psychosis. Can you help me? And I don't want to turn anybody away because I don't want to lose, lose any lives, but it's a lot of pressure. And I feel like I'm a wounded healer at times because I'm still in the thick of it and going through it without the one person that was able to help me. So I, I try to pray like Tony in the mornings. I get out and I walk um, and I, I don't turn to um, social drinking like I used to as much because alcohol is a natural depressant mm -hmm. and it's something that I just realized I can't do for myself. So you have to be able to recognize certain signs and symptoms and triggers um, mm -hmm. within yourself um, to be able to stay on this path of healness and holy and to be whole rather. It's I'm interesting. Not emotional. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I got to tell you guys this show. I'm holding it in, so I'm glad that you can feel comfortable. This is, I feel like we're in a family and we're kind of in this fraternity sorority that we didn't want to join, but we're in it and we're in it together. So we got you. And just making sure for you, Shanti, you know, they say check on your strong friends. So just making sure for you that in the same way that you're available to everybody else, 
that you're being available to yourself and making sure that you're taking care of yourself right now too. Yes. And I, and I wanted to also say that I definitely do not subscribe to the don't go to your friends who are therapists because to me, th that is the reason that I became a therapist. I didn't become a therapist just for me. I, I, I'm like, let's bring everybody. Let me be the, the support to everyone. So, you know, I understand what maybe the, the board or the license says, but for me as Sarita, the, the person and the homegirl, like, I feel like it's a Robin Hood situation. Like I, I got educated with white folks and you know, it was great. And I brought all of that back to my family, back to my friends, back to my community, because it's important that if you, at least to me, that if I'm the only therapist you know, then we gonna, we gonna support you until we can extend an olive branch to get someone out. So I say go down your roller deck, Shanti, and all the people that you have been working with, call them up. They owe you one anyway. Let me cut in real quick because I know we don't, have, we don't have a lot of time, but Shanti, I really want to, I just want to say she reminded me of when I did a, I started the foundation, the Don Community Foundation, and I was downtown speaking at the uh, Clive Davis Museum. And I, I swore to God that I wasn't gonna cry on stage in front of all these people. And I got emotional when I was up there. And uh, when the tears came down, after it was all over, a woman walked up to me and she thanked me because she said to me, she said, seeing your pain made me wanna live longer because I was about to commit suicide. You know, so I'm saying that to you, Shanti, to say that you have more work to do and it's so important that you can talk about it and you're helping people by sharing your pain. You know, even though it's difficult, uh, believe me, you're doing, you're doing much more than you could ever know by, by discussing it and showing your, your real side, you know. So uh, I just kind of wanted to say that to you personally, okay? Yeah, we applaud you, seriously, seriously. Thank you. And hey, Zeus, I want to ask you, with your movie, what, were there certain themes that were difficult for you to direct and for you to shoot? And how, are, how do you deal with your own mental health when shooting those heavy scenes, similar to Tony with American Soul? I mean, when it's a powerful scene, you, sometimes you get engrossed in it. So how are you staying in check with your mental health when shooting your various shows? Um, well, we haven't filmed the movie yet. We're in preparation okay. for the film. We're uh, filming October, November. And because everybody's being so forthcoming and personal, I will share something personally that I don't often um, talk about. Um, uh, when I was 22 years old, I was shot at 22 times. I got hit by three different firearms, a 9, a 45, and a 22. And I still have a 22 slug inside of me. That's why 22 has kind of become my my number, because I think if, if, if the numbers weren't so aligned that it wouldn't have felt so divine or you know, for me to feel like I have uh, a purpose after that in life, um, because I completely could have went a different way. Um, but, you know, I had to build myself up and become somebody, um, I had to refine myself. I changed, you know, my, 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 even from filmmaking, like that was something that I taught myself. I never went to college. So, you know, I built my own business from scratch. Um, but it, it gave me a motivation and a passion. And in terms of it impacting, you know, 
It's like you, you, I always struggled with trying to understand if I was a product of my environment because I had too many other friends that died or got locked up or that didn't become very successful in life. And there's people that have certain circumstances and they're able to overcome them. There's other people who come from privilege who, who don't make anything of their lives. Uh, and what I realized was that um, I am a product of my environment and, and the respects that it gives me a certain edge or advantage in, in, in the world and the environment I'm in today. But nobody said I couldn't change my environment and your environment doesn't have to be geographically. It could be socially. It could be the, the mm -hmm. things that you were input into your mind. Uh, like Tony was saying that the daily word, it's like everything that we consume, we have to be conscious of, you know, a man is, um, oh man, I, I'm losing the quote here, but a man is, is comprised of the, th the thoughts that he has all day. I, I forgot the, the author of that quote, but you, you, you really have to be conscious of the intake. Um, for me, when I got into film, when I discovered this talent, you know, before that I didn't have a lot of hope or direction. And when I created this, this first program, Eye On It, to help other people, um, and I realized that I was really talented at this, um, it, it became, you know, cathartic for me, right? Uh, one of the things I say is, is directing is my heroine, shooting makes the pain go away, right? So it's like, I get that fixed from, from shooting. Um, and I think for other artists, there is, you know, one of the earlier questions you talk about in it relating to music, music industry and people suffering, I think that goes for all arts, I think it goes for all entertainment, a lot of time artists, you know, they're a little bit more sensitive because they wear their heart on their sleeves. They're performing their truth. Uh, you know, we have some of the greatest comedians, Robin Williams, who, who took his life. And that seems so ironic because his career was to make other people happy, to have right. other people laugh. And then here he is suffering in, inside. So historically, musicians, comedians, um, actors, um, you know, it, authors, it's, it's, there's a lot of tragedy and pain. And, un and unfortunately, from that pain, um, or, or, or that pain needs to be accessed or exist for some people to, to realize their greatest talents, right? Like some people make their greatest songs or novels or whatever based off of a real life pain that they took and, and were, was able to put into something else. So I'm just really hoping that um, Suicide Saint, we're, we're able to create a masterpiece. I feel like it's going to be the most important thing I do in my entire life in my career, you know, besides having children. But um, yeah, just it, it, it means a lot to be on the show today to talk about the subject matter um, because I really want to impact other people and, and hopefully help um, inspire someone who's, who's not feeling too good about themselves right now. And that's the suicide saint. That's that's gonna do it. That's gonna do it, Jesus. That is the your calling. That is a purpose, and it's gonna do big things. I can feel it because it's gonna change lives. And speaking of that, you brought up a good point because I do want to bring it back to you know the music industry as well and creatives, because Shanti, for you, silence the shame. That's kind of the foundation of how you started this. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because a lot of people think you're making money. You have albums. You're doing all this. But a lot of times, to Jesus's point, like a Robin Williams, they're more alone than they've ever been. Um, and I was fascinated by that watching Harry Hilson's interview. You know, at the height of her career, she was going through major depression. So can you talk about that, Silence the Shame, and how that started? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, um, you know, I was suffering in silence. And, you know, 
when I was still at the label in 2009, I would go into the office, I would close my door and tell my assistant, you know, don't call me unless it's Sylvia. I was withdrawing from friends. I didn't really want to even participate at work anymore. And I couldn't really, I didn't know what to call it. Because again, back then I wasn't educated properly around emotional health and wellness, but I could see like the highs and the lows in my personality and with me withdrawing. And so when everything happened with my best friend, and then when I contemplated taking my own life, I was like, okay, I've got to do something to share. So I was a little reluctant to talk about it, but it was like eating at me on the inside that I just needed to get it out. And so I did a post one day and started talking about it. And I was so afraid to start talking about what I had gone through. I mean, I have colleagues on this call, um, you know, and, and people that are producers of this show that know me very well. And I was just so afraid of what people would think about me. And I am a spiritual person. I serve a good God. And through all of this, you know, God just told me, you, this is your ministry. It's almost like he put this in my lap to be able to open up and share and allow me to be vulnerable. So as I started talking, more and more of the artists that I started, that I used to work with rather, were kind of DMing me or texting me and say, hey, I've been going through this too. And I was like, well, would you be open to being on a panel? And so Silence of Shame started curating all of these panels. We've done a lot with Music Cares and other organizations. So for someone like Carrie Hilson, she first publicly spoke about her depression at a Silence of Shame panel. Right. That was like, one, it was humbling for us that she thought our organization was a safe place and space to be able to open up and share. And I knew that this was something that I needed to start taking to other artists. And so now, you know, people are saying, oh, you know, your organization is one of the reasons why I thought it was okay to share because at first we were embarrassed and we didn't want to go to therapy or we didn't want to talk about it. And so it's just so incredibly humbling to see all of these artists because Again, you know, money doesn't make you happy. You know, I was making a ton of money, but I was miserable. Yeah. And if you cannot talk to somebody about it and you internalize it, it's going to manifest itself into physical illnesses, right? Because mm -hmm. people don't understand. Like Sarita said, it really is mind, body, and soul. You know, one affects the other. And so when you're not feeling right, your brain is your largest organ. Why can't we tell someone that something is wrong with us? If we have diabetes or cancer or high blood pressure, you know, we'll talk about that in a heartbeat. Yeah. When it comes to the mind and the brain, because stigma is still so real, I think a lot of our artists and creatives get stuck. I will say more and more of them are starting to come out and talk about it now. Um, some of the male artists you see sort of self-medicating at times. So we're trying to like really educate them around that because substance abuse and mental illness really does go hand in hand. Um, I, there are some family members that I have that suffer from a mental illness who, you know, have had issues with substance abuse problems, but you can't treat the mental illness until you get clean. Yeah. So, what, you know, what, one of the things, again, that I want to be able to do, um, and maybe Sarita, maybe there's some things that we can work together because I love the work that you're doing, okay. is to really continue to get artists to open up and be okay with not being okay, but, but really being able to speak intelligently about it because September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month and October, you know, is World Mental Health Day. So there's something called QPR training, which is an hour and a half training that trains you around suicide prevention. So Silence of Shame has started offering free QPR trainings. Also mental health first aid training is an eight hour course that you can take but it literally takes you through the entire gamut of, of all the mental health disorders. So we just wanna make sure that artists are equipped um, that they're not um, afraid to talk and that they have platforms and safe spaces to be able to open up. 
you're doing a great job of it, Shanti. I mean, it's the work you've done and the amount of time, it's exceptional. And I know for Sarita, I was reading that you went to a revolt con um, conference a few years ago and they had all these different panels about, you know, securing the bag, making sure you're on track with the career stuff. But you mentioned that there wasn't a panel about mind, body, soul, spirit. So I was curious, were you ever able to get that panel implemented, if not at Revolt Summit, at other summits at music industry conferences? Because I think it's important. It's, it's absolutely important. And um, where Revolt didn't have it that year, I believe they may have had it the following year. Oh, good. Um, also, um, A3C has done um, some uh, mental health and wellness panels. I know that Shanti um, with Silence the Shame has uh, been a part of curating those panels um, in Atlanta. And, you know, because of, of uh, COVID, our, our, our music festivals and things aren't as, there won't be in person this year, but I know that Music Cares definitely does things around mental wellness. So the, the conversation is happening. Um, I do believe I would love to see all the entities make sure that we're um, paying attention to, to Black people and then just music and in, in music in general, because um, to both Shanti and Jesus's point, I really believe that artists right now, um, suicide is starting to look a little different. Um, and since we're, we've been having a conversation about suicide, um, it's, it, it's starting to be on a, a wider spectrum now where I, in my professional opinion, I put the self-medicating, the accidental overdose, those to me are a form of, of the, the suicidality of not knowing how to let the pain or make the pain go away and utilizing substances to take that pain away, which then subsequently takes your life away in some way, shape or form. So I am starting to have conversation, not starting, I'm having conversations with my clients who are artists or just in music in general and starting to support them and looking at the, the layout of their, their lives and what are they doing in their lives that may be pushing them to a space where accidental overdose can happen. And I think with like Pop Smoke and Juice World, you know, these are young, young up and coming artists that are being lost way too soon. Um, you know, Mac, is another one. These are these are people that, in the traditional sense of maybe suicide, it didn't look like a suicide. But if you look at the breadth of their work, look at the breadth of their lives and the way that they were living their lives, it was in a more reckless way where their attention to their life may not have been as on uh, as on the on on Front Street. Um, so. They, we are we are out there, and the voice and conversations are happening. Um, right. But with everything, it, it takes time and takes commitment. You know, we made an interesting point, Sarita. Many interesting points, actually. But you know, right now, as a nation, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, racial injustices. We're watching people being killed, murdered, on That's television right. on a regular basis. We have a historic election co election coming up. So I want to ask each of you, 
how do you suggest people deal with mental health right now so you do avoid that accidental overdose or you're not drinking too much or how do each of you guys deal with that and what advice can you give to someone watching right now that you know it's it's tough it's hard times a lot of people are spending time alone in their head because they don't have their usual devices distractions so what advice can you give someone who's dealing with that i'll start with you tony you know, that's a very interesting question. And, I, you know, I, I, I have to honestly say that I'm dealing with trying to figure that out right as we speak. You know, I mean, and every day is a different day. You know, I mean, when we're, 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 we're inundated with social media, whether it be Instagram or CNN or MSNBC or for those that watch Fox, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, Twitter. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> well, it's important to know what they're doing, too. That's okay? the truth. That's the truth. It's an alternative universe, but it's important. But, but, but I, I can say that I'm honestly trying to work it out. You know, I, I don't think, and everybody's dealing with it differently. I talked to my daughter about what's going on, my friends, what's going on. I'm, I'm studying the, the process. I mean, I can't, I, I can honestly say I can't answer that question without, yeah. without saying that I'm really working on it. I'm just really working on it because this is, this is unbelievable. I'm hiding behind walls to make sure that I'm doing the right thing when it comes to this pandemic. You know, I'm, it's, it's weird going to the grocery store. I mean, nobody can see your face. I mean, people are hiding from each other. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that is kind of really hard to understand at this time in our lives, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I would, I would, I would ask someone else, what do they do? You know, but I'm, I'm always looking for, 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 for advice when it comes to that. I'm still working on it. I can honestly say I'm working on it. You know. All right, Shanti, I see you. I see you have some. I'm, I'm about to go quickly. I'll just say quickly a couple things and tips that I take my own advice and give to others is because we see these videos right over and over and over again of either black men getting killed right in front of us or getting shot seven times in the back. Um, I have stopped watching the videos. I will read the stories because I want to stay informed, but it's better for us emotionally and psychologically if we do not rehash those videos, which is like re-traumatizing ourselves over and over and over again. So first and foremost, I limit my social media consumption from a video perspective and I try to read the stories. The second thing is I set up healthy boundaries for myself, um, especially like when I talk to people who, you know, with everything going on with racial injustice, like a lot of their white colleagues and counterparts, they're looking for them to be the saviors and to fix them. Or some of them who are in senior level positions, you know, they may be head of marketing, but now suddenly all the white people want them to be head of DNI. No, I'm not head of diversity and inclusion. I'm still head of marketing or sales. And how dare you try to put that on me? Like, it's just not fair. And so you don't have to say it in a way that's rude or negative, but being able to establish healthy boundaries for yourself is actually a really good thing from a wellness perspective. And then also just utilizing the word no. No is a complete sentence. And so I can't be everything to everybody, especially with everything going on. And, it, and some days it's just so heavy, you know, losing Chad with Bozeman. Oh, my goodness. Like all of these iconic figures. So you put that on top of, you know, the symbolic losses, loss of physical connection, you know, loss of being able to connect with your family members, loss of income. So many people are going through so many, you know, physical losses and symbolic losses on top of the racial injustice. 
it's too much. So you got to set healthy boundaries and you have to limit your media consumption. That's good advice. How about for you, Jesus? What are you doing during this time? Um, focusing on my, my, my craft. Um, you know, I, I think that that gives me personal peace to, in terms of trying to tell other people what to do. It's, it's so difficult, like Tony and Shanti said, because every everyone has so much that you're dealing with and there isn't you know one fix for that that applies to everyone's situation right i could tell someone like you know you know try to focus on your breath and 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 share with people and then there's some people who they don't have anybody to share with there's some people who are afraid to go to a therapist i'll I'll just throw in a a quick story a friend of mine um who isn't of the best financial means uh, you know one of the things that's a challenge is that just the disproportionate access to healthcare but isn't of the best financial means. And she went to a hospital because she knew she was having these problems. And she sat down with the, the therapist there and started to share a couple of things. And she can tell it started to get weird, right? Because this was the first time her ever sharing something and they were going to like try to commit her. And, and she had to like run out there and she never wants to go back to therapist again. It, it became a, a very, um, you know, scary, scary experience. So, you know, some of the information that was being shared earlier, uh, I'm sure on the broadcast you guys will put in the, in the in the footnotes or in the caption or something, but I think people need or are in search of um, access to reliable information or, or trusted information that speaks to our community or sometimes if, or, of communities who have uh, less less than others and, and don't have access to pay for things, right? So, because um, not all help is free. So it's it's a matter of finding the channels that's going to serve what you're, what you're, what you're uh, dealing with. If you do have family and friends, you know, just try to be honest with them and open with them, have the courage to talk to them about what you're going through. Um, a lot of times what does help where I think can, can help people is not to put yourself in a situation where you feel helpless and you feel like a victim. And the best way to, to raise yourself out of that is to use your pain to help someone else. Right, so take yourself out of position of need and who can help me and think about what, how can I take my pain and help somebody else with it? Because I think that is something that gives people a, a little more purpose. Even if they're thinking about taking their own life, it's like, if, if I'm here to save someone else, I might not even wanna save myself, but if I'm here that I can be of service to someone else, I think that can help change the perspective a little bit. So I always was, I was think about giving instead of taking. Well, how can you be, be, when you don't have enough, how can you be, more giving so um yeah and, and god bless anybody who's having difficulties that, that are that you know just seem overwhelming right now but just take it one day at a, at a time and just fo- focus on your breath the inner breath and, and um you'll get through it i love that and sarita you are our therapist for the call what do you what do you suggest um suggestions i think 2020 has uh just brought out a lot um, and that's an understatement a, a shift that is happening um, and I truly believe that people who have put themselves or the things that they sh- should be paying attention to on the back burner we often put ourselves on the back burner I think 2020 is just kind of overwhelmingly making everything come into the forefront for us so um, I'm realizing that through the work that I'm, I'm doing that people are like, I, the people that are, are struggling the most are the people that have 
a hard time looking at themselves and looking at it's it's a reflection season and when you haven't shown up for yourself and and put yourself or yeah if you haven't been the kindest to yourself this is a moment where it shows um so that's the first thing second thing is um you know i I try I, I'm trying to orchestrate the words in a particular way because I'm trying not to cuss on the <laughs> podcast right now. So I'm, I'm trying to be you know, careful with my words, but we also have to make sure that we are telling the truth. And oftentimes truths are really, really difficult and they can be scary. Um, And so what I've done during this time for myself personally is just radical acceptance and grace for wherever I'm at. Uh, This past weekend was a really difficult weekend for me. Um, And a lot of emotions came up. And I think all of 2020, I'd been doing really, really well. And I'd been working really hard. And I made a decision to say, okay, I'm going to take a break. And I think that was my body's way of being like, oh, girl, it's time to feel everything. So I got a flood of emotions. And- I kind of, it got a little dark. It got a little dark. Um, poor Kevin. Um, but it, it, it got a little bit dark and I'm like, you know what, this is where I'm at. And so I made the decision that for me, what's important is just to reconnect and do body work. Um, and so I went and had, um, you know, I, I had a sound bath yesterday. And so utilizing Eastern traditions and African traditions in terms of my healing, because I'm connected, that's where I'm the most connected to. So yes, mental health, um, I think we've also not trusted in it because it comes from a wider establishment. Um, But when we're able to connect to spaces and things that are intrinsically unique to us, like drums, like sound bowls, like sound baths, like what's a um, sound bath Sarita so a sound bath is um comprised of different frequencies sound bowls so brass sound bowls um and um you use different tuning forks and things and they put them on the five chakras of your body um Mm -hmm. so your root your head your third eye your heart your uh with my root chakra and then your feet and then they use the frequency of the bowls to bring your your body's frequency in alignment and so it takes all of the energy that is stale it takes all of the energy that may not be serving you anymore and it removes it through the frequencies and it's tuning forks and crystals and so i choose to use things that are intrinsically unique to people with melanin um and so that and my my practitioner her name is sahara ali and she's been absolutely amazing and and wonderful through my process of healing um so it's really starting to make sure that you're doing the things starting to pay attention to who you are um and i think we sometimes run from who we are but when we can start tuning in the other stuff um won't we're not cluttered by it I know that was a long-winded way of self-care. No, this is that was great. That was great. So I have one last question for each of you as we come to an end. Um, this has been good, and I'm I'm glad I've been able to hold it together. Hopefully, I can hold it together for the last few minutes. Um, you know, each of us are touched by 
mental health, mental illness, suicide. It's bonded us together with Jesus, with your movie, Suicide Saint. First of all, can you just go a little bit more in depth about what the movie is about and what we can expect from the movie? Sure. Um, it, it follows the path of these two very different characters, Vincent Cross and Thomas Metal. Um, one is from, you know, he has every difficulty, obstacle, and challenge in life. Um, when he's just a baby, his, his father commits suicide. Um, later in life, his mother's committed, um, and he has just a, a tremendous amount of obstacles. But through all of his struggles, he deals with everything from a, a perspective of gratitude. Um, so, you know, we have this kind of affection for this character, even though he's um, he's been so, you know, I would say like embattled by like he has so many scars. And then the other character that, that um, I don't want to give, you know, the backstory way of, of what's revealed, but he comes from, you know, this very pristine life of, of privilege and, and, and wealth. Um, and he deals with everything from a, a perspective of entitlement. But respectively, you know, one of the characters is dealing with schizophrenia and hypervigilance and the other characters dealing with PTSD and the self-identity crisis. But throughout the film, the way that we're plan on shooting it is to create this visually immersive experience where you can really um, feel to your core of, of what it's like to have these these symptoms and these illnesses and how it plays out on, on camera. So you it's it's a it's definitely an, an experience. Um, and a lot of it is to address uh, something that, that, that becomes relatable to, to people, but also we want to guide people towards solutions. Um, so there's there's faith is is addressed in the film. Uh, I think when people are at their lowest, um, you know, we definitely are, are examining uh, the psychology, human behavior and in, in terms of how we react to trauma. So it, it goes through the course of, of the different things that people kind of um, reach out to, to, to kind of find some resolve. I mean, that sounds, that movie's, I, when's the release date for that, Jesus? Uh, 12, 22, 21. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna be looking forward to that, for sure. Thank and you. And then, Tony, let's talk more about the Don Cornelius Foundation and what you're doing with your being a board member. Um, because what I am so proud of you for is you have turned your pain and it's become a, a purpose and you've done so much in such a short amount of time. And I know working through that and having to talk about it and relive it, it takes a, a lot of strength. So I applaud you on that. But let us know more about what you guys are doing and how people can contribute to your foundation and being a board member as well. Well, you know, I actually started the foundation in 2012 and we've been taking baby steps and learning along the way. And have been, uh, when we first started, it was really about raising money and giving money to those grassroots organizations that were really out there doing the work. But since that time, you know, and trying to develop a new board, um, we've, we've really tried to find out what, what's really going on, what's really needed. Uh, at the same time, being a member of the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, I'm there as more of a, a, a person of color that's trying to uh, convince an organization that has a lot of reach and a lot of uh, financial backing to get more involved in the study of, 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 of black and brown people. So 
currently we're we're just really trying to 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 find out where we should be going next what what's the next phase because we're in a different we're in a different time right now um, what do you do you have any idea what do you know have any idea what's next for you have you thought about it? are you guys still kind of brainstorming on that you know we're still brainstorming and it's a, it's a it's a think tank kind of kind of situation because i mean as we as i listen to all four of us on this on this call uh, everyone has a different situation and we kind of have to tackle try to tackle as much as we can you know so uh it's it's definitely a learning process so we're in a we're in a think tank kind of kind of situation right now so uh but i'm 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 always thinking about it if i live with it i sleep with it and obviously i'm gonna die with it because uh, and I, when i say die with it i mean die trying you yes. know to 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 find the answers and help as many people as I can along the way. And if I can just help one person along the way, I've done what I'm supposed to do, you know? Yeah, yeah, I applaud you for that, for real. And Shanti, for you, I, I gotta tell you, you are, you are one powerful woman and you have, you're helping so many people while dealing with a lot of stuff that you have going on. First of all, I want to just tell you my prayers go out to you because losing a sibling there is, that is, that is rough. Um, but what's and what's next for silence the shame. And then you also mentioned your other YouTube show that you're doing. Tell us more about that and what's next for both of those initiatives. Sure. Thank, thank you for those kind words. Um, yeah. Losing my sister who's like a mom to me hardest thing I've ever had to experience. But Silence to Shame is going strong. We are a small but mighty organization. It's myself and one other full-time person. And we have a couple of consultants. And it's funny, people call us. They're like, oh, we want to, well, before COVID, we want to come down to Atlanta and come to your offices. I'm like, oh, that would be my house. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> by the grace of God, hopefully we'll get funding so I can hire more people. But we're going to continue doing our community conversations. Um, Monique, we have about six or seven up that we've done through COVID, like managing your mental health in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. We did one around managing um, racial trauma and mental health, managing postpartum depression in a pandemic, managing relationships. Wow. So you can find a lot of those community conversations on our um, YouTube um, channel, Silence to Shame TV. Um, as well as on our website, silenceofshame.com. As I mentioned, we're starting to offer free QPR training. We're gonna continue to offer um, mental health first aid training. We're just trying to get that worked out now since everything is virtual. Um, also, we're starting to, um, hopefully by October, we'll be doing workplace wellness trainings um, for corporations. And we're doing a walk, a 5K walk. And it's really cool. We have these virtual frames that you can put up. So it's $12 to register for the walk. And then if you raise $50, you get a t-shirt, but you can put up a virtual frame that says, I walk for. So like, I'm going to walk in honor of my dad, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I hope you guys will be able to support us with that. And then the last thing I'll mention, oh, we have a podcast. We have over 30 episodes up on Google Play, iTunes, and SoundCloud, where we interview clinicians. Um, Sarita, I will be sending you a request for an interview. Um, we have <laughs> influencers. Tony, I'll be calling you, uh, as well as Jesus. I'd love to have both of you guys on my podcast. Um, and we're going to be launching a platform in the fall um, for young, brown, and black people. Um, I can't say the name of it yet because I'm in okay. the 
process of getting it trademarked, but okay. I'm super excited about it. And so my goal is to have that act as our college campus ambassador program on HBCU campuses as well as PWIs. But Jesus, there could be some synergies there because part of it's going to be storytelling for young black and brown people. So um, I'll keep you guys posted on that. And then as it relates to Yale Wellness, um, I'm starting to speak at colleges again. I'm relaunching my book, Silencing My Shame, which shares um, my story of emotional health and wellness. It's just a pretty short book, but I launched it in 2018 and didn't really do anything with it. And since my sister died, um, I added a chapter about that. And one thing I didn't mention to you guys, my mom's black, but my dad actually was from East India, Calcutta. So I'm South Asian and, uh, and, and black, um, similar to uh, Vice President Candidate Kamala Harris. But when I say all that to say, I went to India for the first time in 2018. And I got to go to the same house that my dad's brother wrote me letters to. And I met the lady that actually mailed the letters to me. It was such a spiritual moment for me. And I told y'all, I never forgiven my dad. I was back in, you know, I feel connected. I never really felt connected because um, Indian Americans aren't always that friendly to me when they find out I'm black as well. But going back to Calcutta and actually being amongst my people was so transformative and powerful for me that that's the first time I forgave my father. So I wrote a chapter about that. So I'm launching Silencing My Shame again and starting to do, again, as I mentioned, more talks. Like I've done work with the NBA. Um, I'm in talks with them now about doing something with some of the players. Um, National Geographic, Warner Media, Sony ATV, Sony UK. Um, as much as you know, God will allow me to do. I'm here to serve and and again to try to continue to heal myself, but to take this thing global. Um, my ultimate goal is to be able to open up um, wellness centers um, in underserved communities. Um, and also I want to be able to do like wellness trips around the globe um, from a holistic perspective. So like mental health and travel. So that's kind of long-term. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad you have that, that additional chapter that yeah. happened in her life and that it's going to be in the book. Cause that sounds like that's going to be powerful. Thank you. Um, last but not least, Sarita, what's next for you? Um, just continuing to grow uh, LVRN's mental health and wellness department um, and being able to collect the data uh, necessary to market it to other labels as and because we've, we've heard what the, the, the long-term plan is. Uh, I really would love to be the consulting uh, firm that is creating each mental health and wellness department for every record label and, and production house. That's something that's really important to me um, and taking the, the data that is collected from uh, LVRN and just being able to show, because um, I think it's important when we're talking about people buying into things and corporations buying in, recognizing what the payout is. So being able to have the data to show them that it increases productivity, that it increases morale, um, that it increases people's ability to perform, just performance as a whole. Um, so that's really, I'm really excited about that. Um, also, what I'm transitioning, well, with the little time that I have, which isn't much, um, creating a podcast called Mental Health and Music and just being able to support um, artists with having a platform and being able to talk about how they use their creativity 
to support them in transitioning through um, potentially difficult times or taking a song and, and having them speak about that song from a mental health space. So, and, and having that across um, all genres of music, but in particular R&B and hip hop or um, what I guess we would consider black, well, not really black music, it's global music, we're everywhere. Um, so that's something that is kind of a passion project for me, but wherever the time permits, um, I still have a full private practice as well. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so wasn't really expecting uh, LVRN to be as much of a success as it was. I'm so thankful, but I also still had about 22 of my own clients before I started the project. Um, so being able to juggle has, has been a beautiful thing, um, but I am on vacation for two weeks because- You um, need one, it sounds like. <laughs> I, burnout is real, and when you are just giving from your cup and not putting it back in, the, the consequences can be detrimental. So I take a page out of my own book and say, nope, so I'm, I'm doing what I have to do to take care of myself. Um, and well, I'd love to, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. That, well, that's it, that's a lot, Sarita. <laughs> but I like to say that nothing is a coincidence, and I feel like, Shanti, your father, your sister, Tony, your dad, my brother, are all looking down, we came together for a reason, and I feel like you all are gonna do some major stuff even after this call, so. I just wanna thank you guys for sharing, for be being so vulnerable, for being so open. Um, I really feel like this show today on Music Day has changed lives um, and it was so real. So I appreciate you guys for being here and sharing your stories. And this is only the beginning for the next chapter. Um, so thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Music Day. A Verified Hit is presented by the Living Legends Foundation, Inc. Real talk with experience. Please follow and share Music Day on Instagram at Living Legends Foundation and at Music Day Podcast on Twitter at The LLF Inc. Join us on Facebook, The Living Legends Foundation. Executive producers are Jacqueline Reinhardt, Mark Hill, Ken Johnson, and Pat Shields. Our associate producers are Shannon Henderson, Sheila Eldridge, Tony Winger, Vivian Scott Chu, and Varnell Johnson. Production by Mark Hill Creative. Talent booking Black LLC. Theme music by Wendell Wellman for Star Maker Global. Interstitial music by William Reinhardt. And I'm your announcer, Jay Johnson.